0: What is the purpose of life? What really makes me happy? Will I ever find true happiness? And how do I manage all of these other things? These are just some of the questions that we'll be addressing in this introductory chapter on adjustment. This introductory chapter, In Adjusting to Modern Life, is a great foundation for psychology and a lot of the broad topics that we're going to be addressing throughout this textbook. However, it also starts by addressing some questions that philosophers have been faced with for centuries, and that is, what is the meaning of life? Do I have a direction in my life? And what is my own personal philosophy? These are some of the questions that we're not only going to be thinking about this week, but we're going to be addressing throughout the semester. So I'd like for you to keep those in mind as we go through each one of the chapters. The textbook also discusses uh, self-help books. And self-help books are very big right now. Uh, they have been for several decades. As we address kind of this um, innate desire for this search for meaning and more understanding about our life, which is a lot of what psychology is about. And although these books can be useful, they're also um, also very good at promoting some shortcomings, like the fact that a lot of them focus on the self and some innate... Um, Narcissism that kind of exists. And that narcissism, as we'll talk about as we go forward with personality traits, is not necessarily a good thing. And obviously, we can look around at all of the social media and find examples of narcissism in our society currently. So, that's one of the main shortcomings of self help books. There are lots of benefits to self help books. And we can kind of use this class and the chapters as really a way to um, get in touch with some of that self-help as a means for starting to understand ourselves better, which is really one of the best tools and mechanisms in a self-help book. So what is psychology? Psychology. Psychology is a science. It's also a profession. But psychology is the study of behavior and really the underlying causes of behavior. So the underlying causes of behavior may be physiological. When we're talking about physiological, we're talking about chemicals and um, the biochemistry of a human body and how we may physiologically have responses that are provoked from the environment. Um, Say, for example, when you get hungry, that's a physiological response. Your stomach growls, that is that physiological response. We're going to talk about those physiological responses, not just pertaining to our physical environment, but also to a lot of our emotional environment why do we eat when we're lonely? Why do we eat when we're sad? Why do we get tired on days when it's rainy? Or why do we eat certain foods on days when it's rainy? Those are some of the things that we're going to talk about. The other aspect of psychology is the mental processes, the mind, and how our perception as well as our emotions and our thoughts can shape our reality and our understanding of situations. And so that's really what we're going to be focusing on. Now, this textbook, as it mentions, is the adjustment to modern life. And so when we're looking at adjustment, we're looking at that those psychological processes that people go through in order to manage and cope with all of the challenges of everyday life. So we're going to talk about adjustment Throughout, we're going to talk about adjustment that we've been experiencing over the past several months when we experience a major uh, life change that impacts all of society. We're also going to be talking about the adjustments to everyday life, transitions from high school to college, transitions from college to adulthood, transitions from being a child to being an adolescent, or transitions in and out of the workplace, transitions in and out of being a student. All of those things are going to be those aspects of adjustment that we're going to be talking about. So it's important to take a minute and address the scientific side of psychology. Psychology is a science, and therefore, as a science, it must engage in a scientific approach to behavior. And so most of the information that we have in the field of psychology is based on experimental research. Experimental research involves um, investigating or manipulating a variable and observing how it changes or influences another variable. When I'm talking about a variable, a variable can be anything. And I know what you're thinking is, how do I know what it is if it's anything at all? When we look at Um, experimental research, the variables that we're talking about are the two things that we're looking at or the two things that we're interested in studying. So for example, if I'm interested in whether or not sugar actually changes a person's behavior, the variable that I'm looking at is sugar and then the other variable that I'm looking at is behavior. Those are our two variables. Now, That is what we are researching. That's what we're studying. And so we're going to use this as an example as I go through and talk about all of the aspects of experimental research. So if I wanted to set up an experimental research design, I would actually be recruiting individuals to come into a lab and I would have my independent variable and my dependent variable. My independent variable is the one that I'm going to manipulate or change. And so in my example, my independent variable would be sugar. I'm looking at whether or not sugar is going to influence a change in behavior. And so my dependent variable, my dependent variable is actually what I'm going to be measuring. What I would be measuring in this case would be a change in behavior. Now I'd obviously have to whittle it down and make it a little bit more clear than that. I wouldn't want it to be change in behavior. I would probably want to say something like, does sugar, um, you know, cause hyperactivity, or does sugar increase behavior in individuals? And so from that aspect, I have my independent variable, which is sugar, and my dependent variable, which is increasing behavior. I'm going to define that clearly. How am I going to measure that behavioral change? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But very basic, basically, When I'm talking about experimental research, I'm looking at how one thing impacts or affects another, that very basic X versus Y kind of equation. So let's whittle it down a little bit more. For example, let's take and say that this is obviously a hypothetical experiment, but for uh, demonstration purposes to kind of illustrate all of these concepts, we're going to say that I recruited individuals and maybe I had 20 people come in and participate in my research study. What I'm going to need to do is I'm going to need to divide those into two groups because how on earth can I tell if it really impacts behavior or not? Well, I have to have a control group. A control group is my group that serves kind of like as the baseline. They are not going to receive any treatment, or in my experiment, they're not going to receive any sugar whatsoever. So I would bring my control group in, and maybe I would observe their behaviors. Maybe I would, if I were working with children, I would let them go out on the playground and run around and see how their behavior is, um, how their behavior is normally. And then I'd also have an experimental group, and my experimental group would be the group that is going to receive the treatment. So in my situation, they would be the group that would be receiving the sugar. And so my experimental group, I would feed them sugar, and then I'd let them run around on the playground, and I would see if their behavior is any different than my control group. The control group, again, kind of serves as that baseline group, and so... I want to test or I want to see how much sugar has changed their activity level in, um, the, in my experiment here. So in order to determine cause and effect what we have to do is we have to experiment with it. We have to set up an experimental design like this so that we can determine that, in fact, the sugar caused the behavior changes. And there's lots of different ways that we can do that. Um, We can um, define, you know, behavior changes as maybe running for a longer period of time or we could define the behavior changes as playing on the playground for a longer period of time. We could also define the behavior changes as you know, something um, maybe more aggressive behaviors or more jumping or something of that nature, and we could measure each one of these. Now, there, this is a very, very basic um, explanation of experimental research. Now, there are lots of advantages to this, The main advantage to experimental research is we can determine that there's a cause and that there's an effect. We gave the children sugar. The children who got sugar were more active for a longer period of time than the children who did not get sugar. And again, this is all hypothetical. There are also, though, some disadvantages to this. Um, Some disadvantages, the biggest one is ethical considerations. Is it ethical for me to give kids sugar? Um, is it ethical to expose certain people to certain situations? And a great consideration is a um, quasi-research design. It's a show that used to be on television. I'm not sure if it still is on TV, but it's called What Would You Do? And in those situations, they have a camera crew that follows individuals around and, and these they set these people up that are not knowing into situations to see whether or not they would intervene. And that has a lot of ethical considerations um, because people, you know, you may expose people to situations that may cause a lot of distress. As we go forward, we're going to talk about the infamous um, Stanley Milgram, who was a social psychologist, and he put together an experiment in which people thought that they were shocking other people. They weren't. Nobody was being harmed during the process, but one could argue that, for ethical reasons, his experiment really pushed the boundaries because people thought that they were um, that that they were shocking other people, and that caused a lot of distress. So there are some disadvantages. There are also some other disadvantages. For example, um, in my illustration of sugar and behavior. There's some things that we call confounding variables, which you don't really need to worry about, but confounding variables are variables that may influence the study. For example, it may be that the children in our experimental group were more hyperactive to begin with. So there's lots of things that we have to take into consideration. In addition to experimental research, Another type of research that we use in the field of psychology is correlational research. And correlational research seeks to display a relationship between two variables. So it's trying to show that there's a relationship between two variables or a relationship between two items, two things that you're interested in looking at. Um, So for example, no different than our sugar and our behavior, that could also be a correlational research as well. The two variables we're looking at to find a relationship is between sugar and behavior. There is something called a correlational coefficient, and the correlational coefficient is just a number that shows the strength of the relationship. The closer that that number gets to one, the stronger the relationship is. So this really provides us with a lot of really good information because we can see how two variables or two things are related, and then we can also see how closely related they are or the strength of that relationship. There are two different types of correlations that we'll talk about. We'll talk about positive correlations and negative correlations. Positive correlations, when we have a positive correlation, Both variables are moving in the same direction. So both variables are moving up or both variables are moving down. An example of this would be that as correlational research indicates that um, there is a positive correlation between heat and violent crimes. So when the temperatures are increasing, violent crimes also increase. And we can also show it the other way, which also would show a positive correlation that as the temperatures decrease, violent crimes decrease as well. And then a negative correlation, the negative correlation, the variables move in opposite directions. So as one variable is increasing, the other variable is decreasing. An example of this would be GPA and days of, um, days of class missed. And so we can see that there's a negative correlation between your GPA and the numbers of days that you missed. And so for students who have a higher GPA, they traditionally have fewer days of class that they miss. For students who have more days that are missed, they typically have a lower GPA. And so that shows a negative correlation or an inverse relationship. Now, one of the things that I wanna be very clear about is that with correlational research, we can show the strength and we can show the relationship between the variables, but we can never say that one variable causes the other. And I like to point this out because um, oftentimes the news media will pass off correlational research as experimental research. And a classic example is a couple of years ago I actually saw in the news that they said that the Super Bowl causes heart attacks. This was actually based on correlational research that has been conducted since the late 80s, in which they have been measuring the number of emergency room visits Related to heart attacks on the night of the Super Bowl in the towns in the cities in which the two teams were playing, and so what they found, and like I said, this goes all the way back to like the late '80s with the LA Raiders, and they found that um, when the LA Raiders lost the Super Bowl, there was more hospital admissions for heart attacks that night than any other time period. Um, so we see an a negative relationship between the um, hospital admissions, hospital admissions increasing, and the Super Bowl points or the losing team decreasing. Um, But we want to be sure that we clarify that. And so we can just say that there's a relationship between the two, but not necessarily that one causes the other. We cannot infer causation from it. And so we want to be sure, again, to, um, what we can do, though, is look at the strength of that relationship through the correlational coefficient. And so um, there are some relationships that show a very strong correlational coefficient. For example, uh, there's a strong correlational coefficient between, Um, The economy and domestic abuse. And this, again, would be a negative correlation because what we find is that as the economy decreases, the rates of domestic abuse increase. And so that shows a strong correlational, um, a strong negative correlation through the correlational coefficient. So let's apply these empirical analyses to a concept like happiness. How would we study happiness? How would you define happiness? Could it be something that we could study through a research study or an empirical study or experimental study?